The local church is what we've been talking about starting this year off. The local church and our participation in it is essential. No matter what our society or culture may say or maybe had brought into doubt last year as we walk through this pandemic and as we're still walking through it, the church and your participation in that church is essential. That has been the general focus of this first sermon series of the new year. It is not essential because a preacher says that it is. It is not essential because we deem it to be so. It is essential because it is clear from God's Word that the church holds this central place in His plan. In His plan to call out and redeem a people for Himself from all the nations of the earth, He has prescribed for us the church and our participation in it. If you have a worship guide this morning, there's a, some fill-in-the-blank notes if you want to use those to help go through this time and study. We're going to start with this life truth. The first part of it is this. You are not saved by the church. You are not saved by the church. Some people think that way, that the church belongs to Jesus, so if you belong to the church, you belong to Jesus. That's not, it's not the biblical gospel. You and I are born with this natural desire for sin, what we were just talking about, what we need freedom from. We are born with this natural desire to give ourselves to whatever feels right to us. We want to be our own gods. That is human nature. And we are not rescued from that human nature because we're active in a church. Becoming a member of a church through a process of a local church membership is not going to save you from that. Salvation is a fundamental transformation that takes place in your soul. Where you go from wanting to be your own God and do whatever feels right to you, to how Romans 6.17 says that once you were slaves, you have now become obedient to God from the heart. So you go from wanting to do what you want to do, to desiring to do what God wants you to do to being surrendered to Him as we were singing about this morning. That comes only by God's grace. It comes only by God's grace giving us faith to believe in His Son Jesus, to forgive us of our sins and change us. And no amount of involvement in the church can substitute for that. No matter how involved you are, how much you serve, how much you give, it cannot transform your heart. You are not saved by the church. You are saved into the church. You're not saved by the church, you're saved into the church. In our opening reading this morning that Scott did for us from Romans 12, part of that reading was Paul telling the church in Rome, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay, don't do what your natural tendency is, which is to want to make much of yourself. And then in verse 4, he gives a reason. For that, he says, for here's the reason you shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you should. For as in one body, we have many members and those members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are many, we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So Paul says, here's why you should not think of yourself more highly 
than you should, or you should not think of yourself as highly as you want to. Here's the reason. Because you have been saved into a new reality. You have been saved into the body of Christ, the church, and it is no longer just about you and your interest. That is what you've been saved from. You've been saved into something different. And he makes this comparison. He says, all of you understand that you have one physical body that you exist in. And that your physical body is composed of different parts. And each of those parts has a different makeup or appearance and function. But every one of those parts works together for the good of the whole body, for the goal of the whole body, for the purpose of your whole body. And that's a sign of health. When you're When all of the members of your body are working together as they should, it means you're healthy. Your hand can't strike out on its own and decide to promote itself and do its own thing because it thinks it's the best part of the body. Your leg can't say, you know what, I love you guys, but I don't need you and you don't need me, so I'm just going to go and do my own thing. If your body functions that way, it means something's wrong. It's a sign that you're not as healthy as you want to be. And so Paul says, that's the church. That's how you need to understand the church. Take this physical understanding you have and apply that to the church. We are one body in Christ. One. One body. And that one body is made up of individual members who have been saved by Jesus. And we're all different. We have different personalities, different backgrounds, different likes, different dislikes, different talents. We're all different. But we all belong to one another. And so none of us should think too highly of ourselves. None of us should think this place would shut down if I wasn't here. Because God can replace us like that. None of us should think, they don't know what they have in me. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should, because all of us together work for the health of the body. If the church is healthy, we're all working together for one common goal, one common purpose. We're all working for the health of the whole body. And so... Jesus is so serious about this. He is so serious about us taking care of the church body and being a part of it. He's so serious about that that He has granted to us divine abilities to aid us in this work. These are abilities that you would not have if you were not a Christian. They are not merely some, a talent that you were born with, but they are a divine ability that God has prescribed for your life for the sole purpose of building up the church. And we call these spiritual gifts. So in your handout, let's let's do a definition. What is a spiritual gift? Just to define it. It is a God-empowered ability that enables each 
Christian, and when you write the word each, I want you to circle it. It's a God-empowered ability that enables each Christian to be effective in ministry. Now, the reason I wanted you to circle each is I want to go back to what I said last week. Every true believer has at least one spiritual gift. You may have multiple gifts, but you have at least one. There are no exceptions. Don't be falsely humble and say, I don't really know that, that God's given me a gift. No, then that would mean Scripture is lying to us. We, as believers, all have a gift. It is a divine ability that enables us to be effective in ministry. The term spiritual gift represents what the Bible calls things from the Spirit. Things from the Spirit. It also references throughout Scripture spiritual gifts. They're called graces. They're called manifestations of the Spirit. They're called workings of the Spirit. These are gifts. And they are gifts God has given to equip the church to carry out its ministry and its mission until Jesus returns. We see them predominantly in the New Testament while we wait on Christ to return. And not only do they help equip the church to carry out the ministry and the mission that we've been given, but they actually give us a foretaste of eternity. When we are operating in our spiritual gifts and when others around us are, we are getting a glimpse and a small experience of what eternity will be like. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, in particular verse 10. He says that these gifts are a partial or some translations, an imperfect understanding of God's kingdom. And that one day when Jesus, the perfect one, returns, these partial understandings, these partial giftings will pass away. One day, these gifts will no longer be needed because we will understand and experience the kingdom of God fully, in full measure. But until then, He has given us this preview, this foretaste of eternity through spiritual gifts. So I want us to make, I think we have seven of these, observations about spiritual gifts from Scripture. We are not today, our purpose is not just to go through each one of the gifts and try to talk about what they are. And there are resources, if you're interested in that, if you'll let me know, we can work on getting you some of those resources. But what we're talking about today is general observations about the gifts and what the Bible tells us about the gifts. And what I hope happens is that we are stirred in our heart not only to either question what our gifts are or to be confirmed in what our gifts are, but also to see God's call to us to use those gifts to build up this body that He has placed us in. So first observation about spiritual gifts. They are often related to a general call that is given to the entire church. Spiritual gifts are often related to a general call given to the entire church. You may have noticed when we were reading through the two texts today that some of these gifts relate to a function that all of us are supposed to be doing. So, for example, in Romans 12, service is mentioned. Teaching is mentioned. Now, you may not, as a Christian, teach to an entire church, but if you're a parent, you're called to teach your kids. 
You're called to teach other people what you're learning. You saw mentioned exhortation. You saw mentioned giving, mercy, faith, wisdom in 1 Corinthians 12. Every one of those gifts, in some way, we are supposed to all be doing as a Christian. In some form, all Christians are called to these things. So what we know from this is none of us have all of these gifts. No one believer has all spiritual gifts. But there is some general ability related to every one of these gifts that we all have. Even, I'll use an example of prophecy. Depending on your understanding of prophecy, I'll I'll explain what I think it is, which is, it is a receiving something from God that He spontaneously brings to mind that you communicate to someone else. It's always in line with His Word. It is not, it is not the same uh, authority as His Word. We're told to test prophecies. But if prophecy is receiving something from the Lord spontaneously and then communicating it to someone else, all of us may not have that gift. We don't. But all of us at some point will hopefully have the experience of coming to a place where we we feel like God has told us something. Where we feel like God has said, reach out to that person and pray for them. And so you go to someone and you say, I just really felt like the Lord laid you on my heart this week and I should pray for you. And that person maybe in return says, wow, I'm so glad you did that. I'm going through this and I've been praying about this. That is at least in some way related to the idea of prophecy. It's receiving something from the Lord that you're communicating to someone else. So all of us... For so many of these gifts, we are called to do these things. So ultimately what a spiritual gift is, is God empowering in certain believers the action or the ministry that all of the church should engage in in some form. He takes certain believers and He highly develops that action in them And the church, who's generally called to those things, get to see them operate in it and are encouraged by it and exhorted by it. Observation number two. Spiritual gifts show a believer the primary ways or the primary way in which they are to build up the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts show a believer the primary way or ways in which they are to build up the body of Christ. So Paul said in Romans 12, 6, You, church, have gifts that differ according to the grace of God in you. So use them. Every true believer, you have a gift, differing gifts that accord to the grace that God has given you. So use your gifts. We talked about this last week. Do not hoard your spiritual gift. Do not set it on a shelf. Do not bury it. There is a reason God gave it to you. You are part of the body and you need to use your gift so that the body that you are a part of can be healthy. 
This is one reason we know the church is essential. If it was not essential to be a part of a local body, then God had no reason to give you spiritual gifts. They're pointless because they're not for you. Therefore, those that you are in community with. Now, when I say that it's important for us to... To see this gift as the primary way or the primary ways in which we build up the body of Christ, I'm not telling you that we should only serve in the way that we're empowered to serve. Because, as we just saw, we're generally called to all of these things that many of the gifts relate to. I will also tell you that sometimes in a church, you just need to meet a need. As far as I can tell, there is no spiritual gift of picking up trash in the parking lot. Or if you go into the restroom one day and you see that it is, there's a clogged toilet and you say, that's just not my gifting. I don't think that's how that works. Sometimes you just meet a need. I will also say to us that the danger in just assuming I should only serve in the way that I'm empowered to serve is sometimes that leads people to go, until I know what my gift is, I'm just not going to serve. But often the way that you discover what your gift is, is by serving. You begin to ask God, show me my gifts. And then you begin to get involved and serve where you see needs in the church. And as you serve, you begin to watch for what you seem to be most fruitful in. What do people most respond to? What do people seem to most be helped by? You can even ask people around you, what do you see in me? What do you see me engaging in that's really helped you in your walk? And that is how you began to uncover and discover what it is that God has gifted you to do. But I believe that ultimately what Paul is inferring here is that eventually you'll know your gift. And that will become the primary way or the primary ways in which you serve the church. Otherwise, when we're not serving in the primary way that we've been gifted to serve, people often give themselves to functions they're not gifted in, and eventually they get totally burned out by it. Because God really hasn't empowered them to do it, and so it's a great struggle for them because it's a lot of it in the flesh. And not only that, but if you're operating in a role or a gift that you're really not empowered in, then people around you will not be as built up. I think primary teachers in a church should have teaching gifts. It's not to say that All leaders aren't supposed to teach or that we're not all called to some form of teaching. But in order for the church to be built up, I think those who are primarily teaching should be those who are gifted to do so. And I think you apply that to many or to all of the functions and the gifts of the church. Ephesians 4.16 really points us in this direction. It says, "...the body of Christ should have every part working properly..." so that the body grows and builds itself up in love. I think a healthy church is a church filled with people 
who have an idea of what their gift is and they're operating in them for the good of the whole. That's when a church is really healthy. Next, spiritual gifts. They should be strengthened through regular and proper use. They should be strengthened through regular and proper use. When we talk about having a gift, a spiritual gift, the Bible isn't real clear on when we should or when we receive that gift. Maybe it's at salvation. Maybe it is as it apparently was for Timothy when he was ordained and a council of elders laid their hands on him for that ministry. But what the Bible does seem to show us is that when you receive your spiritual gift, you are not as strong in it as you will be. It is not a static gift that you are given that never grows. So to show you this, I will reference 1 Timothy 4.14 and 2 Timothy 1.6. 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul told his protege Timothy, don't neglect your gift. Don't ignore it. Don't set it aside. And then in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says to him, I want to remind you, his next letter to Timothy, he says, I want to remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. So he tells him, don't neglect your gift in his first letter. And then in his second letter, he tells him... Um, to fan into flame the gift which is in you. So, that language implies a couple of things to us. It implies, first of all, that it is, it is possible for you to ignore or to misuse your gift. And if you ignore or misuse your gift it can, like a flame, diminish. It can fade. Whether or not in God's sovereignty it is ever removed from you, the Bible is not real clear on. But it is clear that if you're not using your gift, the effectiveness of it and the strength of it can diminish. There's a passage in Romans 11, I think, that says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. But if you read that passage, it does not seem to be referring to spiritual gifts. What is clear is that it could fade in the sovereignty of God. It is also clear that if you properly use your gift, it will grow. Intensity. It will develop in effectiveness like a flame. That's that's the imagery that Paul uses there. Let your gift be fanned into flame. So like we used this last week, this analogy of a fire. If you just start a fire, leave it alone, it'll eventually fade away. You need to do work. You need to put wood on it. You need to stoke the fire. That is how it grows in intensity. It makes sense then that the more that you use your gift, the more it will develop. It also makes sense that in a local church there may be multiple people with the same gift, some who are operating in that gift in different ways or different levels of intensity. And those who have been walking in a gift for a while and using it can train and develop that gift in other people 
who are just starting to learn what it is. Gifts are from the Spirit, but Paul makes clear that God has designed that our behavior impacts the development of that gift and how strong or how weak it is. Observation number four. Spiritual gifts are to be exercised in complete dependence upon God. They are to be exercised in complete dependence upon God. So, as we seek to develop these gifts, and God has told us to use them so that they develop, we do so in the realization that we are completely dependent upon God to use them correctly and to see them ultimately be empowered. Paul said this in in 1 Corinthians 12, in this passage that Nick read a few moments ago. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Paul says, all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. So every gift is empowered by the Spirit. Let me tell you why I think it's important for us to understand that. What we typically do is we divide spiritual gifts into two categories. Miraculous and non-miraculous. We divide spiritual gifts and we say some are more miraculous than others. So gifts of healing or speaking in tongues, those are miraculous gifts. And then we say there are non-miraculous gifts. Those might be teaching or administration. And, and I think that's right. I mean, certainly, if someone was operating in a gift of speaking in tongues, that is certainly a not a natural or tangible gifting. But here's the danger in us focusing too much on miraculous and non-miraculous. We have to be careful that we don't lose sight of the fact that non-miraculous gifts are not merely talents and they are still empowered by God. Every gift is supernatural. Every gift is supernatural because it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, every gift, whether it is a gift that is miraculous or non-miraculous, every gift needs the power of God to operate correctly. We read in Romans 12, 3, again, that first reading from this morning, where Paul says, "...don't think of yourself more highly than you should." but think of yourself according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That appears to be the measure of faith God has assigned to you. Use your your gift in proportion to that measure of faith that He's given you. So part of your dependence on God in using that gift is to consider what measure of faith that you have to operate in that gift. I'll try to give you an example. In one season of your life, you may, let's say you have a teaching gift. In that one season of your life, you may have a gift to teach, but you may only have the faith to teach two or three people at a time. That's all that your faith really can muster at that moment. But what should happen is over time that gift is developing and you're maturing and your faith is increasing and that will increase your ability to use that teaching gift for more people. I said to you last week that I I desired to be a pastor for a long time, 15 years or so. And and I I assume and, and think that I had certain pastoral gifts 15 years ago. 
but I don't think they were developed and I had the faith to be able to use them in an effective way. And hopefully that is the case today. But just because I have a shepherding gift for a church of a certain size doesn't mean that I have a shepherding gift that could be used in any size church. I think that's part of what Paul is saying. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. I should never sit around and say, man, I would really, I'd really be good at Church of the Highlands. Like, I'd, I'd really, I'd really go in there and help them a lot. Now that's really thinking way more of myself than I should. I should operate in my gift in accordance to the faith that God has assigned me in this season. And all of us should do that. We're not to compare one another. We're not to say, I have that same gift they do, but I'm better at it than they are. These are not gifts that bring competition. These are gifts that should help the entire church body. So we look to Jesus, we look to God for dependence in using our gift, and hopefully it will grow as we grow. Number five, spiritual gifts are given according to the will of the Spirit, not based on value or importance. This is also extremely critical for us to know. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that second reading we did today, what we've already looked at, these gifts, all of them are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Where does your spiritual gift come from? God's Spirit. How does He decide what gift you have? Whatever His will is. That's what Paul says. And then Paul goes on to say further in 1 Corinthians 12, what we didn't read this morning, but he refers back to the same analogy of the body, and he says in verse 21 and 22, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or nor again can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. All right, so you... You don't look at your physical body and say, if I had to give something up, what could I give up? I work in a corporate environment outside the church and we have, we have benefits the company gives us. And one of them is called accidental insurance. A couple of people that work for the company are already smiling. They know what this is, but it's personal accident insurance. And if you go and read what it is, it actually tells you how much money you will get if you lose a certain part of your body. So, a finger's worth this, a hand is worth this. And there may have been a few times people would joke about, you know, I could pay the house off if I just lose this part of my body. But we don't want to operate that way. Even the parts that seem weaker, they're indispensable. And Paul applies this to the church. Don't think because you have an out-front gift and someone else has a more subtle behind-the-scenes gift that you're more important than that person. You're not. 
You're not more valuable because your gift has more people looking at you. Every gift is vital. And the gifts that you might look at and think, that's a weak gift, or God, why did you give me this gift? The Bible says it's indispensable to the church. The Holy Spirit assigns the gifts, and it is not based on value or importance. It is based on His will. Every gift is needed for a church to be healthy. And the Spirit knows what gifts are needed in a church. And He assigns you your gift, working in unity with the Father and the Son, knowing that the good works that He has planned for you, that your gift will be used for those good works. So don't devalue your gift or someone else's. Two more observations. Number six, spiritual gifts, they should all be desired as the Spirit chooses for the benefit of the church. Which gifts should we want at Agape? Any gift we need that the church would be built up. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 again, verse 4 through 7. I want you to look at the, the word variety. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good of the church. Here's what the Bible is teaching us. Unity in diversity. Different gifts, different services, different activities, one church, one Christ, Unity in the midst of diversity. We talked about this last week, or a few weeks ago. We try to manufacture unity. And often we try to manufacture unity in the church by grouping people together who are most like one another. Similar life experiences, similar age, similar dynamics, similar interests. And we said at the time, that's not unity. Because it may bring some type of harmony, but you're dividing the church in the process. Well, we build whole denominations around keeping certain gifts grouped together and keeping certain groups of gifts out of other places. Those who lean more toward the intangible and miraculous gifts, they tend to gather together. And the groups in the churches who lean toward more tangible and understandable gifts, they tend to gather together, and then they look at each other very suspiciously. A healthy church will prayerfully have a diversity of gifts. Some of us lean toward wanting to see more miraculous gifts happening in our church. Some of us would be okay if the more miraculous gifts never happened because we just don't understand them. Some of us struggle with the more routine or tangible gifts because in our flesh, we prefer the gifts we can best relate to. And this seemed to be happening in Corinth. 
In Corinth, it seems like they had this great desire for miraculous gifts, especially speaking in tongues. And when Paul was ministering to them, he didn't say, stop speaking in tongues. He actually said, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. But then he tells them in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, however, you should be eager for the manifestations of the Spirit that best build the church up. And he says, tongues, while a spiritual gift, doesn't build the church up as well as prophecy does. Eagerly desire for your church to be built up. So agape, I say to us, fully understanding that we are a southern Baptist-rooted church. And if you ask to see my ordination, it is a Southern Baptist ordination. But I say to us, we should want every spiritual gift here that the Holy Spirit would give us to build this church up. Whether we understand it or not, we want to operate in those gifts in truth and with sincerity but we should want every gift He has for us. Otherwise, we're saying, don't pour yourself out here that way because I don't understand that. Just give me what I can understand. And He may have much more for us than that. Finally, spiritual gifts are not to be sought for personal gain, but they are to be motivated by growing in love. Make a note on your handout, by the way, that where it says Romans twelve twenty seven through thirteen three, that should actually be First Corinthians twelve twenty seven through thirteen three. Let me read this to us. First Corinthians twelve, verse twenty seven. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues? Let me just pause there and say the inferred answer to all of these questions is no. They don't. Do all people speak in tongues? No. That is why I reject any teaching that says that the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Because the Bible tells us not every person will do that. Do all interpret, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. What's Paul saying here? He's saying spiritual gifts are not the most important thing in the church. Spiritual gifts are not the most important part of your Christian walk. 
Spiritual gifts are a tool that God gives to equip the church. Listen, your gift is not your identity. If all I am as a pastor, then I have ceased to be what I truly am at my core, which is a servant of Jesus, and I'm no longer able to effectively pastor. Your gift is not your identity. Your role is not your identity. It is not a source of personal pride. It is not who you are. It is how God has gifted you to equip the church. We should desire spiritual gifts. We're shown that. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We should desire them. We should desire them in our lives. But we should desire them because we are growing in love for the church and for God. And we want to be as effective as we can be, as fruitful as we can be in loving the church and building it up for Christ. That's why we should want spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter how gifted I am. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. You can have the most miraculous of gifts, but if you do not love, Paul says you're nothing. If you're a great prophet and you hear from God, but you don't love people, then you've missed the whole purpose of why God gave you that gift. Can we pray for spiritual gifts? I think so. I think we can. But I think James 4 tells us that when we pray, we should ask what our motivation is. Some things we don't have because we ask wrongly. If we're asking for a spiritual gift because we want to be well-known or we want to be you know, prideful, we want people to think well of us, so we want this gift that we've seen so people will respect us the way they do other people, we're asking for the wrong reasons. But if we want a gift because we want to love the church and build it up, I think that's permissible. When I realized the Lord was calling me into ministry, when I felt that, I began to pray for one particular gift. And I have prayed for that one gift for 15 years. And I, I don't even know that I walk in it um, firmly and strongly. But I, I prayed for wisdom. I prayed to have a gift of wisdom. And my reason for that was seeing what Solomon said when he was given the throne. And I, I don't believe being a pastor is being given a throne. So don't take that analogy too far. But, but when Solomon became the leader of Israel, and God came to him and said, what do you want? Ask it, I'll give it to you. He said, give me wisdom. Because who can lead this great people but you? Give me an understanding mind to know what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And the Bible says that the wisdom of God was in Solomon to do justice. I wanted wisdom because I felt like if you're going to lead a church, 
Of all the gifts that you needed, surely you needed that one. To know what's right or what's wrong. I think we can pray for gifts. I think we should ask ourselves what our motivation is when we pray for a gift. And check our hearts. This morning, I don't want to just talk about spiritual gifts, but I want to talk about some of the ways that we use gifts here. The last few years, we've done something this time of year, we call it, called it a ministry fair. So if you've been at Agape for a while, you know that we had a particular Sunday where we, we had booths all around the room and representing different ministries of our church and that, that those, uh, ministries you could walk around and you could hear what that ministry was about and sign up to serve. And this year, with everything going on, and we've decided to not do the ministry fair in the, in the way that we've normally done it. I hope we can do that next year. But I do want to remind us of many of the ministries that we have operating here, some of which had to die down last year in the pandemic, but that we want to see being built back up and strengthened. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some leaders who will come and highlight a ministry to you and talk about how you can get involved in it. And this morning, as part of that, I've asked Jeanette Acock if she would come and just take a couple of minutes to talk about our hospitality ministry. This is a ministry that is extremely important, but one last year that we haven't weren't able to operate in the way that we normally do. And we want to build this ministry back up starting now. And so I want to let Jeanette talk for just a couple of minutes about that ministry Please give her your attention. Don't just immediately hear hospitality and say, oh, that's not me. Right, give it a second. I want you to keep in mind that within any ministry, there is room for a variety of different gifts. So this isn't just about being hospitable. It's about using your gifts within the context of a certain ministry that has a certain aim in the church. So your gift may fit very well with hospitality. Hello, I'm Jeanette Acock, and I am the leader of the hospitality team. And um, as I've been praying about um, exactly how to get across ex- what all the hospitality team um, does and how you may fit into that, that role, um, the Lord has shown me, like David said, a variety of gifts are needed to be a part of the hospitality team. So it's not just about hospitality. Um, of course, if you are a hospitable person, you would fit right in. But also, maybe you have the gift of mercy. Um, that is a gift that could be used on the hospitality team because the main goal of the hospitality team is to make our members and our guests alike feel welcome at our church. Um, we want to share the love of Christ with everyone who comes in our doors. We want them to feel loved. We want them to um, feel like they belong, and we want to express um, the love of Christ to them. So one way we do that is by greeting. I know a lot of you see Eric and I as you come in the doors, and that is because during this time, um, we have taken on that role because we felt comfortable doing that, and we've had other people that volunteer from time to time. But like David said, this past year has been a little crazy but we would love to be, have a rotation of that to where it's, you know, if you want, if you enjoy greeting, if you enjoy opening doors for people and helping people come in and, 
um, welcoming them into the church, um, then we would love to have you on the team so we could rotate it and you would only do it a Sunday or maybe two a month. Another way the hospitality team works is um, before the pandemic, we would serve snacks and coffee and we would love to get back to doing that. So maybe you're not comfortable with greeting, but you love to serve in that way. Well, we would need you on the team to help prepare the coffee and um, to serve it to our members and guests as they come in. We would love to get back to doing that. That's going to take a couple of people. And if we have enough, we could rotate that every Sunday. So maybe you would only need to do that once or twice a month. Another aspect of the hospitality team that I feel like the Lord has really given us a vision for is to reach out to our guests and our members with encouragement. So maybe you're gifted with the gift of encouragement. Maybe the Spirit has um, stirs your heart to just want to be able to encourage people or want to be able to reach out to them and share Christ's love with them through text or email or cards. Well, that's another way we want to work. It's a very behind-the-scenes um, aspect of the hospitality team, but I think it's a way that the Lord can use you to really um, build up the church. So we would get a list of names maybe that um, we know needs encouragement or are visitors, and we would in- reach out to them either through text, email, or note, or you know, a card that you just write. So be praying about the ways that the Lord has gifted you. Be praying about the ways that the Lord wants to use you to build up our church here. Um, and consider um, getting with me if you feel like this is an area where you would fit in to serve in this way. Um, again, he mentioned in the sermon today that some of the gifts are behind the scenes and some of them are more seen. Well, that all goes into play with the hospitality team. Sometimes if you're greeting, you're going to be you know, out front and everybody's going to see you as you walk in. But if you're just in the background sending texts and and encouraging people, or maybe you're just helping set up coffee and then washing everything after, you may be behind the scenes, but we need you. We need that. We need those behind-the-scenes people to make it run effectively. So please pray and consider um, if the Lord would have you join our team. And if you do feel like the Lord is calling you to serve in some aspect of the hospitality team, get with me and let me know. Thank you. Of all the things the pandemic took from us last year as a church, coffee is up on that list for me. So I, I personally would, would, would love having that back. I want to say, say something about this ministry. I want, if you picture this building, this building's not the church. We're the church. But if you picture this building as our home, I want you to imagine inviting people to your house and just, you know, someone that's never been there before, but you leave, you leave the door unlocked and they just, yeah, they just come in and find their own way in, figure out where you are. Uh, that's not how we do. We greet people. We, we, we greet people when they come in. Um, and we should do that to each other. I think that's an extremely important part of ministry and outreach. We've had people who've said to us before, I, I was really, I was really impressed by how friendly the church was the moment that we walked in, and that's what the hospitality team does. And this other aspect of this team helping connect with people who are visiting the church or who even maybe haven't been in a while, it is so needed for us. There's a wide range of gifts that could be used there. And um, if you're not yet in a place where 
you know, you want to shake hands, that's okay. We might not even should do that yet. We can utilize fist bumps and all those kinds of things and do like Eric does and wave from a distance. Uh, he, he can he can show you that. But this is an important ministry. We really want to ramp it back up as a church. So please consider participation. Grab one of the flyers off the back. Talk to Jeanette about it. And... Um, and, and get involved there because it is the involvement of the church that's going to allow that gift to be able to operate. Eli, you can come on up. We're going to end this morning in, in worship. Um, and, uh, Eli's going to come and lead us and then Rob's going to come and, and help us to, uh, prepare to pray. It's a bit of a different sermon, and there's a lot of information and teaching, but I just want to say, number one, um, let the call to the gospel be clear. That this idea of spiritual gifts, it is to believers. You're not saved by the church. You're not saved by a talent. You're saved by giving yourself to Christ and asking Him to transform your soul, to change your heart from loving and desiring worldly things, being your own God, to wanting to be transformed to follow Him and to do what He is asking. And so if you've never had that moment, that time where you really feel like you've come to Christ in a in a way in which you've been transformed, my ask of you is to not leave here today or not turn off this live stream until you've contacted somebody. You can come and talk to me after the service, or Rob, or Nick, or you can text uh, us. Uh, Nick will place the number in the chat so that you can text. It'll come directly to me, and we'll set up a time to talk. Set up a time to talk about where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Secondly, would you pray for spiritual gifts at Agape? Would you pray that the Lord would give us the gifts that we need to be built up, to do the mission and the ministry that He has for us? Would you pray? about your own gift or gifts and how you can use them? And would you consider serving in hospitality or uh, soon we're going to hear from Rob in, in a week or two about our prayer ministry. That's another one that we would love to have you engaged in. So we'll talk to you about those things. Would you pray and ask God to show you how He wants you to serve and pray for gifts at Agape?